Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is special or unique because there are seven what are called kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. Today's kingdom parable starts in verse 31. We call them kingdom parables because they all start with the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like. And then Jesus will tell a story of a plant or a pearl or something of that nature. Now, how do we or what do we do with this? How do we interpret this series of kingdom parables? If you look at Matthew 13 and you look at all the various verses, nowhere does it say, and he traveled to another part of the world, or he traveled to Jerusalem, or he went somewhere else. In chapter 13, he does go into a house and out of a house, but it is believed that the same basic people who were following him heard all seven of these parables, and so we don't take one parable and say, God is like this, boom, God is like a mustard seed, or something of this nature. We have to take all seven, because they are all seven different aspects of the kingdom of God, of how it operates, of how we respond to it, of what God is doing. And in Matthew 13, we have the four soils, of different, the seeds were cast on four different soils. We have the growing seed that the farmer does not know how it grows. We have the wheat and the weeds. We have the mustard seed, which we'll look at today. We have leaven or yeast. We have a treasure in a field and a pearl of great price, which are two separate parables, but we'll take them together because it's the same teaching. And finally, the fishing catching a large amount of fish. In Mark, there is also a um, kingdom parable. So Matthew 13, there are seven. You add Mark and you have eight. And I think we need to look at them all together and look at them to build a theology of the kingdom of God, of what is Jesus saying about himself. And we need to understand that this is not a continuation of any sort of kingdom talk that was in the Old Testament. There was some allusions to the Jewish people who were called the people of God. God said he would live there and it would be with his people, but he never actually said the words that Israel was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That pops up a couple times in the Minor Prophets, but if you, you can definitely take what they're saying as a future event. So when Jesus came, he was instituting a new thing. He was instituting a thing that the Jews had not seen before, that the world had not seen before, 
and it's called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He instituted it, started when he was born. We became a part of it when he died on the cross, rose again, ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, he was the kingdom of God. If you could have stopped him on the street and said, as he's teaching this, and say, uh, so Jesus, what's the population of the kingdom of God? He would have said one. Because until he died on the cross and the new covenant was instituted, the way into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven, did not exist yet. And so Jesus is teaching about how the kingdom of God works, but all of this does not come to pass until after he dies on the cross, provides forgiveness and atonement, and ascends into heaven. So of the eight king, uh, kingdom parables, four of them are planting parables. Four of them are farming parables. And one reason for this is that most people, the vast majority of people that were walking down the street when Jesus was teaching in Galilee or Nazareth or even Jerusalem were farmers. If they were not farmers, they were support systems for the farmers. It is said that Joseph, Jesus' father, was a carpenter. Well, he wasn't building just random things for people. He was building stuff to support farming. He was building plows, most likely. He was building storage bins. He was building things that people needed to advance their life as farmers. And so one reason that perhaps all of the half of the kingdom parables are farming is because people would understand it. The second reason is the kingdom of God grows. It is a process. Uh, Jesus did not appear. And at age 33, he handed out the list of all the people who were in the kingdom of God and said, I'm done. And he left. It is a growing thing, and it is a growing thing over time. As we will see uh, near the end of the sermon, there are many more Christians today than there were when Jesus walked the earth. And so the idea that the kingdom of God is growing slowly over time is the idea of that's how plants work. You've ever, you've ever planted a plant. Uh, we have plums back there, and plums come from a plum tree. Now, if you take one of those plums and you cut it open, you'll find a big old seed, much bigger than a mustard seed. And if you put it in the ground, tomorrow you're going to have plums. No. For plums, you're going to have to wait a minimum of three years after it has bark on the tree. Okay? Once, if it's a sapling, if it's green leaves, nah, not yet. Once you see bark on the tree and it becomes a tree with a plum, that type of plum, you need to wait three years and then it'll produce plums every year and that takes time. It's a process. You have to wait. You have to watch it. You have to just let it go and do its thing. And in doing its thing, eventually fruit will come out. And this is like the kingdom of God. It is a slow growing. It is a thing we watch. It is a thing we let happen, and eventually fruit comes out. And so talking about the mustard seed, Jesus has a parable and he says, 
Here's a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds you planted in your garden. And it'll eventually be so big it'll be a tree that even birds will nest in its branches or um, nest underneath it. And this idea, this parable is something that many people, and I've had people challenge me, I've had people challenge me to my face before I was a pastor, of how this parable proves Jesus was an idiot. That's what they want to say, because if Jesus is wrong, if Jesus is an idiot, well then I don't have to believe in him and I can find some other way of salvation. I assure you right now, Jesus is not an idiot. Jesus was never wrong. Whatever Jesus said and we say, huh, that doesn't sound right, it's my understanding, not Jesus' words, that is the problem. Now this is a parable. A parable is a story. Parables do not always have one-to-one correlation with reality. If you remember the four soils, the good soil produced 30, 60, or 100 times. That was unknown. The average yield of a person who was planting wheat or barley was eight times. If they had one bushel of seed, they would produce eight bushels of barley or wheat. And for Jesus to say a hundred that was unknown. People were going their you know, mouth aghast because to, to produce that, you would only need to plant like once every 10 years because you'd have so much food to last you for that long. But people don't pick on that. They pick on the size of the seed. And the problem is Jesus says it is the smallest seed in the garden. It's the smallest seed in the field. Now today we have microscopes and we have discovered microscopic seeds. There are actually seeds that are smaller than a grain of sand. And you can, I don't know what kind of plant, probably some kind of weed. But if you look up on the interwebs, you will see that, yeah, there's really tiny seeds. And the mustard seed back then was about a little smaller than a grain of rice. Okay? A really small seed, but you could pick it up. And you could see it. And what Jesus is saying is this is the smallest in the field. Well, people like John MacArthur, for example, in his commentary, has three whole pages debunking all the criticism of this uh, smallest seed in the garden idea. There's two things people do not like about this parable. The mustard seed, Jesus says, is the smallest. Secondly, Jesus says it grows into a tree. There is no mustard plant on earth that grows into a literal tree that you could cut in half and see the rings and all that kind of stuff you see with trees. That does not happen. And so what is Jesus talking here and how did the people understand this? Well, John MacArthur, as I said, debunks a lot of this. He quotes a guy who's a herbologist. And the herbologist said the mustard seed would have indeed been the smallest to have been noticed by the people at the time of Christ. The principal field crops, barley, wheat, lentils, and beans, have much larger seeds. 
as do other plants which might have been present as weeds and so forth. There are various weeds and wildflowers belonging to the mustard, amaranth, pigweed, and chickweed families with seeds that are as small or as smaller than the mustard, but they do not have been known or noticed by the inhabitants. They are wild, and they certainly would not have been planted as a crop. The only modern crop plant in existence with smaller seeds today is tobacco, which is a really tiny seed, but that's an American thing, and Jesus wasn't planting tobacco way back then. So if he's holding up a mustard seed, his hearers are seeing a couple things. One, mustard back then was a weed. You did not plant it for food. They didn't understand the tastiness of mustard in various foods and sauces. They didn't put it on their hot dogs, for example. They didn't have hot dogs. When Jesus walked the earth, according to everything we read from Roman and Greek and things like that, mustard was something that when you saw it growing in your field, you pulled it out and threw it away. It was a weed. It was something you did not like. They also had something, we have yellow mustard today, that you take and you grind the seeds and you add vinegar and boom, you get French's yellow mustard. They had something called black mustard, and this was probably a black mustard seed, which is definitely a weed. It did smell different than regular mustard, but it was something. When Jesus said, you take it and plant it, his audience would probably have said, oh, why do you do that? That's, uh, you know, it's a weed. It takes this place, it takes the nutrition of your wheat and barley and lentils that you're going to have for dinner. Black mustard as a weed, if you just let it go and you let the irrigation happen and all these types of things, will reach 12 feet tall. It will reach very tall and be very strong, but it is a very tall bush. It is a very tall shrub, if you will. It is more of a vine and it has something to grow on. It will grow very tall. And birds will be able to nest in it. But Jesus said, it's a tree. And I think what we have to understand is Jesus is talking about a mustard seed that nobody on earth has ever seen before. It is only an example. The, the basic teaching of this parable is something goes from very small to huge. That's it. And he's using an example. And if you read very ancient Roman and Greek poetry, the mustard seed was idiomatic as a small thing. If you wanted to use a metaphor for a small thing, you would say a mustard seed in American speech, going back a little ways, if you wanted to express somebody who was very quiet, we might say they were quiet as a church mouse. Okay? Now, first of all, we don't want mice in our church. Okay? That's bad. And I bet if you were to catch a church mouse and compare it to other mice, it has no 
difference in volume. There is not a genetic difference between a mouse found in a church than a mouse found in a field, but we just say it because it has grown into our vocabulary as you're always quiet in church and a mouse is a very small beast and it might know that you got to be quiet, so you're quiet as a church mouse, even though if you were to examine that, that's a very, very, very silly idiom. But Jesus is using idiomatic language that we do not use today. When we talk about small things, we talk about, I don't know, atomic or subatomic or grains of sand or something really tiny because we have the technology to see really tiny things. When Jesus is in a culture of people who grew up with the parables and the teachings of Socrates and Aristotle and the, the, the Greek thinkers and the Roman thinkers of the day, Jesus is just throwing out a, think of something really small. And he's throwing out mustard seed and everybody who heard that would think, wow, that's really small. That's all he's getting to, not a parable on the scientific examination of a mustard seed. He is saying, really small. And as I said, how big was the kingdom of God when Jesus was teaching? Well, if you go back to Bethlehem, the first, Christ, the first Christmas, Jesus is born. And he's put in a manger. He's a little baby. Okay, an infant, cannot do anything on his own yet. That is the entire population of the kingdom of God on earth when he was born. And if you ponder how small he was when he was born, if you ponder how insignificant in the whole Roman Empire, backwaters Bethlehem in a stable was that Caesar didn't even give it a second thought, didn't even know. The only reason Herod knew that he was born was the wise men came and let the cat out of the bag. And they said, a king's being born. If they did not contact King Herod, King Herod would have never known that Jesus was born. That's how small and insignificant the start the inauguration of the kingdom of God was a small little baby. Then Jesus grows up and he picks 12 and the kingdom of God now has an inhabitants of 13 and one of them leaves so they're back down to 12 and then he dies on the cross and he ascends into heaven and then you look at the upper room and how big was the upper room? The upper room had 120 people. You now had 120 people was the population of the kingdom of God. Now when Jesus taught this parable, 33, 34, something like that, you're now 10 years later, you're now 12 years later, um, and you have churches throughout Jerusalem, you have churches throughout Antioch, you have churches all up and down the Jordan as Christianity 
is expanding. If you were to get on your old web search machine and type in, how many Christians are there today? You will get an answer between, because apparently it's hard to count, 2.3 billion and 2.8 billion. There's about 7.5 billion people on this planet. So a little under half of the people, eh, a little more than under half, but half of the people on the planet are Christians. Now, because your internet doesn't know the difference between Catholics or Protestants or Orthodox, they're all lumped together. If they have some form of a Bible, if Jesus Christ is believed in, and if there's a cross involved, the world will call you an evangelical or a Christian. And so there is, and these numbers, I believe, are growing, so we'll call it for easy math, 3 billion Christians on the planet today. 2,000 years ago, population of the kingdom of God was one baby. Now you have close to 3 billion people who believe in Jesus Christ, who confess Jesus Christ, who have the moniker of Christianity. Now, we're not going to debate, well, how many are really saved and all that. I don't care. The name is growing. The apparent, the visual part of the kingdom of God is unimaginable. If you were to pull Peter aside and say, do you know that eventually there's going to be three billion Christians on earth? There weren't three billion people on earth. When you would tell him that, that would be unimaginable. It would be, you know, difficult for him to understand, but you're talking about a mustard seed, a very small thing that over time becomes a very huge thing, in fact, becomes like no other mustard seed actually becomes a tree and becomes a tree that continues to grow so that those of the earth find refuge in the tree. That is a mustard seed like no other. And it is what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, way back then he was giving a window into what's the kingdom of God like. The kingdom of God is, starts really small, becomes really huge. And 2,000 years later, and no human being has had the wherewithal to observe it for 2,000 years. You also can't observe it in every part of the world. As the parable of the growing seed says that we do not know how plants grow, and I cannot write a history of the last 2,000 years of everybody who got saved and how they got saved and who they heard it from. The kingdom of God is spread out. It is in many ways invisible. There is no palace for it. There is no king on earth. Our king is in heaven waiting and he is going to return and gather up his church. But right now the kingdom of God is still growing. We have, there are estimated 10 million uh, missionaries in the field today from America. Interestingly enough, there are 8 million missionaries from other parts of the world to us. 
Because if you go to places like England and you talk about, you know, to pastors there about America, America is a godless, immoral, trashy, morally of a place. And so British pastors are sending missionaries to America to save us. And of course, we're sending missionaries to England to save them. And so missionaries are all over the world. Estimated maybe 30 million people because people in Europe send it to Asia and people in Asia send it to Europe. It's estimated, although nobody knows because we don't know how many missionaries there are in China. We don't know how many missionaries there are in Iran. These are secret missionaries. But it's a good estimate that there are something like 30 million people who have left their home and gone somewhere else to tell people about Jesus Christ. And when they do that, people are getting saved and people are then telling other people and of those people who are saved by the missionary, they will go somewhere else, some of them, and become missionaries to tell other people. It seems to be the goal, which is good, of Christianity, worldwide Christianity, is to go somewhere else and tell them about Jesus Christ, and we are doing it fantastically. And so if you ask the question, did this parable come true? I think you would have to say, absolutely. I think it blows away anybody who was alive in the time of Jesus how successful Christianity is. We can't necessarily put the label on it that because it's so big it's true because other religions will throw that at us. We know it's true because it's true, because Jesus Christ said it's true, because we can look at this parable and others and say, yeah, it worked. We're winning. This parable is coming true. Huge does not explain or describe what is happening in the world. If you are curious, uh, Christianity is the largest Okay, by almost a billion. Okay, Islam is second, Hinduism is third, Buddhism is fourth, the Sikhs, which is a religion out of India, is fifth, Judaism, the Jews, is sixth, and one reason they don't grow is they don't witness. They don't want more Jews than they've got. I've, I've read Jewish writing, I've talked to Jews, and they say, why would we want more? We're doing fine just the way we are. So they do not. They just have more kids. And if you have more kids, then your religion grows. After Judaism is Baha'i, and last organized religion is Jainism. Jainism is a very, very old Indian religion, an Indian tribal religion. But because India has more than a billion people, Jainism is quite large because it is part of that. And so if you look at this, we can definitely say, but don't grab a hold of pride or anything, that Christianity is winning. The God is one. That His truth is going out. The people are getting saved, and of course you have to couch that with, and of course we're not doing enough. Of course we must always do more because not everybody is saved. And if, until everybody is saved 
We send out missionaries and we tell people and we tell people and we tell people. We throw seeds on the soil. We plant seeds and watch it grow. We do all the kingdom of God stuff because not everybody is saved yet. And we can stop when either everybody is saved or Jesus Christ comes back. When Jesus Christ comes back, the opportunity for witnessing will end because everybody's going to see the truth, but the opportunity for a choice will end when Jesus Christ comes back. A final way to interpret this parable is you get in your concordance and you look for big trees. Okay, you look big trees and this is called having the Bible interpret itself. There's only one other place in the Bible where there's a huge tree, where there's a big tree, and that's in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he said, The vision of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was the food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And you can say, huh, what do we do with this? Well, in the book of Daniel, the tree is Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, he's having a dream about himself. God comes and cuts the tree down because he's an unrighteous man. He's an unrighteous tree. He was powerful. He ran the whole earth for a while, but God shut him down because he wasn't a good tree. But we see that God is using the image of a huge tree that can nourish the whole earth as something that may be alluded to in the mustard seed that becomes a tree. If you look in the book of Revelation... And it's talking about heaven. The main river that flows out of the temple has trees on either side. And the trees will have fruit. The, the trees are called the uh, trees of life. We don't know, but we're guessing you keep eating that fruit and you live forever, I guess. But there's no sin, so you live forever anyway. And the leaves are for healing the nations. We do not know how the trees will function. I'm sure there will be, you know, some sort of introduction when we get to heaven as to this is how you work the trees. There are trees throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve messed up with a tree. There's a big tree in Daniel and Jesus is saying the mustard seed becomes a tree. And at the end of time you have trees of life. And so... God uses images. We don't necessarily interpret Jesus' teaching from this. It's just interesting that God seems to be using the image of a tree as something that nourishes, as something that takes care of things. And today, the tree of the kingdom of God is huge. It's big. And when we look at how many are here, we look at the church attendance in America is falling. But we keep sending missionaries, and they keep sending missionaries to us. And hopefully, they will convince us to believe in God more, and we'll convince them to believe in God more, because people telling our neighbors about it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, I know for a fact there's a foreign missionary pastor 
in Hayward who's going door to door, knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. And he's a foreign missionary coming here to save Hayward. And I praise God and I pray for him. I only met him once, but he seems to be a good guy. And you can't say, wait a minute, I'll save Hayward, because we're not. And so somebody from another land had to come and tell us. But this shows that when Jesus said, small to huge, it's true. Good thing that parable is coming true and will come true even more as more and more people are saved. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, you are saving people. If we were to look at the success of the, of the people, the 120 in the upper room, we would say it's a fantastic success. It's a roaring success. But our work is not done. Our work will be done when you return or until everybody is saved. Lord, we praise you for this and ask your blessing upon the remainder of the day. I just pray that we will continue to pray for the lost and witness to those that you bring before us. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.